the birth of my child is nigh. Mm-hmm. I mean, not nigh. Well, it could be nigh, as it we could. Well, calculated. it's unlikely to be super nigh. Fun fact: In 19 years, there will be another Y2K problem. The Y 2.038K problem. That is not as catchy of a name. They got to work on that. I feel like the yeah. branding company. <laughs> yeah, because I feel I do, don't. You think that Y2K as a name helped? Like it, it? I mean, it. The whole Y2K thing is fascinating to me because uh, on the one hand, it was way blown up right it was like everywhere it was all anything was talking about for a while and i think that was helped by a people don't really understand computers b y2k is a clever name c the millennium was a big deal but also like now people are almost like if they talk about it they're like oh what a scam that was nothing even happened it's like yeah nothing happened because a (laughs) ton of work was done (laughs) ridiculous (laughs) billions of dollars of work was done yeah yeah a bunch of people came out of retirement yeah (laughs) yeah and the thing that's fascinating about the y2k is one of those uh there was this thing that everyone was worried about and then billions of dollars of work was done to prepare for it yeah and then Nothing really went wrong. Like minor right. things only went wrong. Yeah, it and, all went well. And it all went well. So, did the billions of dollars of work cause that, or was it most like definitely there was like I think it's fairly well agreed that there was a lot of unnecessary Y two K work and like contractors milking companies that don't know any better for lots of hours. Like, oh, I guess we're gonna have to rewrite all this stuff, or like, mm. oh, just it being an excuse to rewrite something that is old and but would probably still be fine um but almost certainly or at least it seems to me and from what i've read about it there were some actual y2k problems that would have uh, happened especially when there's like some medical equipment that was not necessarily fully like it wasn't calibrated correctly based on the year or whatever and they caught that and they fixed some of those bugs so i mean i definitely think that that was important i mean i i don't like i think we have like a problem in society almost where if 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 we're if we know, I mean, I think you can see it almost in in issues of today, where it's like because nothing bad happened, it meant that it wasn't mm, a problem. Yes, it's like the nothing. There were no. There was also a big deal about how on the millennium there was going to be a bunch of like, you know, terrorist attacks, and people are like, oh yeah, nothing, nothing happened. And it's like yeah, nothing happened because multiple plots were foiled. <laughs> like, like there were a bunch of plots. They didn't happen. That's a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's an entire category of problem with like security. Yeah. If you're a security expert and your your entire job is to make your company not get hacked, then and then you don't get hacked. It's really hard to tell the <laughs> difference in between you being lucky and you being appropriately successful and you doing way overkill. Totally. No, I mean there is there is a problem there and it you know, the fact that no one understands any of this stuff is definitely a problem. But I think that you know, I was just reading a story I don't know, today, I think, about some guy. Oh, it was on a friend of the show, Paul Kafasas' blog. Did you read that about the guy whose license plate is null? And then it turned out to not be a great idea? Well, it, it, it turned out to be a problem for him because after he got the his first speeding ticket or ticket of parking ticket or something, suddenly he was getting everyone's parking tickets where they didn't have someone in the system for that. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so he got like, you know, $12,000 worth of parking tickets. <laughs> All assigned to null. Hmm. And he's like, he's, you know, st- standing his ground and saying he's not going to pay them. And he got the initial fees at least reversed. But like, we'll, we'll and we'll, well, I am putting the link for this in the show notes 
right now, but it's just like, you know, the, these things work a certain way and no one understands how they work, but there are real consequences if they're not working correctly. Yeah. And, uh, the Y2K stuff, I, there was, there was a couple like Y2K bugs that actually made it way, its way out into the world. Like apparently in Japan, uh, NTT, uh, had, which is their, their like major telecom there had a bug where if your voicemail box was full, then when it would, it, by default, it would delete the oldest message and the ones that had just been left would be considered to be in the year 1900. So it would delete them. So then they get delayed. Yeah, that's a that's a real problem. Or like, you know, bank records and like, you know, all these things. It just, you know, I don't know. I mean, the the people going out and buying like canned food because they thought that the entire world was going to melt down. That was obviously probably even if nothing had been done, probably a bit much. But I I don't know. But I do know that the going from, well, we all kind of overreacted to, oh, we shouldn't care about anything ever is definitely a an over correct right so if you subscribe to the theory of maybe we should sometimes care about things a little bit when there's potential problem incoming uh, which i do you may be interested to learn that fun fact in 19 years there'll be another y2k problem the y2.038 problem yes so this as a software developer you're probably at least aware of and some of our audience yes uh, you know our audience varies in between software people and not software people but um at 8.14 p.m. on Tuesday, January 19th, 2038, many computers will suddenly think it is the year 1901, which sounds very familiar to the Y2K bug. Similar idea that the way that computers store uh, dates in the Y2K era was updated from being a two-digit. Okay, we'll store the year as 99, because well, how could a year ever be larger than 99, to instead store the date as the number of seconds since January 1st, 1970, uh, which you can store up to 2 billion 147 million seconds in a 32 bit number on a computer so that would never run out so that's not our problem right now which eventually will be the problem of people who are still using computers in the year 2038 so the unix epoch system is breaking yes it will break or at least it will break for systems that were built in the 32 bit era which is kind of for computers up to the last few years so you know definitely anything that was updated in the y2k era would have been 32 bit and for the a lot of the the systems that will still be because we're 2019 so this is still like 18 19 years out from now but a lot of the systems that are being built now which there are still 32 bit systems that are being sold or installed today a lot of the ones that will matter and still be running then are like aerospace military medical embedded devices the american government is still using is still using mainframes from the 70s like exactly those (laughs) i don't know what's going to happen in the next 19 years for sure i wish i did i would probably do very well in the stock market but it i think it's very likely that those this will still be a significant problem the good news is that if we switch everything to 64 bit i think the heat death of the universe starts to become like yeah 32 base gets us from 1970 to 2038 um where 64 bits gets us to sunday december 4th in the year 292 billion 277 million 26,596 which is about 20 times as old as the universe is right now and so we're not entirely sure if that will be enough time to get us to the heat death of the universe? Uh, they'll worry about that then when the government is still using mainframes from the 1970s. <laughs> but, but I think, but I think it's, it, it is worth noting to people that you may have noticed there that going from 
going from 32-bit to going to 64-bit sounds like, oh, you're doubling it. But when you're talking about the, the, the way that this actually works, that is a much, obviously, a much larger... It's a ludicrously larger number. All, virtually yeah. anything can be expressed in 64-bits. Like, obviously, there's limits, but almost any number you would ever have any reason to care about. I mean, that's a dangerous statement because you do sound like Bill Gates talking about 64K <laughs> at one point. Yeah, <laughs> but, but <laughs> like I won't, I don't, I don't think we, I think if we learned anything, we should, it's that we should not make qualitative statements like that. But I will say, I, that, I believe I did not say you literally never would ever need a bigger <laughs> number. I'm pretty sure I, we can go back to the tape, but yeah, can we, can we, do, do, do we have rewind. the stenographer working yeah. tonight on the recording or is can it we just a ruling? Us? Yeah, I think, I think that, but I do think it's fair to say that you almost never need more than uh, that ludicrous large amount of number um but yeah so to me that that's kind of interesting that there's devices today like a a 32-bit android device which is you know a lot of the sort of if you buy a bargain basement android device maybe not as much today you can still buy them but definitely ones that have been sold in the last few years they just when it flips over in 2038 those devices will crash and they will not start up again they're just dead but then Android ecosystem has a lot more variety from the premium right. stuff all the way down to it gets used in like embedded like point of sale systems and stuff like you go to the Gap or whatever and they have this horrible uh, screen. <laughs> it's like obviously lowest bidder <laughs> put together this thing. And there's an Android <laughs> device in there and you know it works and as long as it keeps working they will keep using that thing uh, until right. the year 2038 or sometime sooner. But by 2038, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. 19 years is a long time from now, but, you know. And there's all these, like, uh, internet appliances. Like, people have this, like, smart thermostats and stuff like that. Sure. Like, some of them are set up that they have software updates. But what's the percent chance, like, maybe Nest will still exist in 2038? But you're... Maybe. <laughs> you like, smart home appliance thing that still keeps, like, you know appropriately measuring the temperature and updating like triggering your your heating and your air conditioning or whatever like it might still keep doing that but then get to the point where suddenly it's not not able to mm. unless embedded stuff like there's embedded systems and maybe well maybe it would heat you the way a person in 1901 would want to be <laughs> very conservatively <laughs> so as to not use more coal than necessary Right. Or like, you know, assume you're wearing a lot of clothing and therefore, you know, you don't need a lot of heat or I don't know. Assume that the efficiency of the windows is very Yeah. Apparently one of the concerns is that there's a lot of embedded systems in like uh, safety systems like uh, anti-lock brakes and stability traction control and stuff like that, which don't care what day it is on the calendar, but might be doing date math where they're like, oh, like second math or millisecond math where it's like, oh, okay, well, after this many seconds or milliseconds, I should or shouldn't do this. But then to mm, so don't drive across that. Boundary. Yeah, maybe like, <laughs> maybe Just like be at home at 8, 14 p.m. on Tuesday. And, and honestly, I think probably this would be well described in the many media at the time just maybe not to the degree y2k was but at day 14 on tuesday january 19th 2038 i think people will be slightly more cautious about what what they're doing with old technology at that particular moment well how about we agree now we'll come back and check in on it yeah we'll do some follow-up at that time in 2038 yeah well for sure i mean clearly yeah it's all follow-up <laughs> The, the, at the end of at the end of the day one thing in like researching this that i learned this was kind of one of those kind of obvious or maybe not obvious things but i kind of hadn't thought through until i was looking at this was why is it that if unix and like basically modern computer time keeping is kept based on the number of seconds since january 1st 1970 and 
in 2038 that we'll get to the maximum of 2 billion 147 million why is it that the clocks will suddenly think that it's 1901 again why is it ellen and the answer is because they don't go back to zero they will flip from 2 billion 147 million to negative 2 billion 147 million which is then 2 billion 147 million seconds before (laughs) 1970 because computers are stupid and they do not what you want them to do but exactly what you tell them (laughs) wait what about systems that are using a unsigned bit if you are using an unsigned date then it'll work perfectly fine and it'll keep on rolling and there are some systems that have done that or either intentionally to protect or like to further push down the road uh by many years yeah because it it doesn't push it down the road forever it just goes like double the distance between another 60 and which yeah. is great. Like, I'm, for most of the time, that's sufficient. Like, it won't be your job anymore by then. But the, years, yeah. the solution of why don't we just make it, uh, like, change it from a signed to unsigned, like, that nor- that's a non-trivial change in a lot of systems. And at that point, it's like, you're doing an, a, a binary incompatible change. You might as well just make it six for a bit. Man, it is a crazy job, though, the people who go into these things where we don't have the code. We, they, maybe they're yes. embedded, whatever, whatever, <laughs> and try to fix these things. Uh, our heart goes out to you. Yeah, exactly. We we send out a hearty thank you and and we're sorry for your own mistakes. <laughs> for the mistakes of the people many decades before you. Like yeah. it was 1970 because like when I don't know when they made the standard, like in the 70s, they're like, well, you know, like the computer won't have been running before now. So we'll just make it. Oh, I don't I don't think it was a state. I think you're being very generous when you say standard. <laughs> I think it was like we created Unix in this year. So we just randomly decided to this date. Yeah, the, the, like, sometimes the most important decisions are very off the cuff. Fun fact, the board game Monopoly was originally created to show the dangers of unrestricted monopolistic enterprise. Mm, right. So the idea was not, look how awesome it is if you control everything and you can extort people till they go bankrupt. That is exactly right. Because that's what I got from it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the version of Monopoly we all know and, you know, some people love, I guess. Do you love Monopoly? Are you a Monopoly fan? I, I mean, there aren't that many people who love it, but I definitely am of the camp that Monopoly is underrated like people really hate monopoly because it often gets because it takes forever well yeah it often never ends because the rules uh get modified so that kids can play because the actual rules are pretty unforgiving and they have a bunch of negotiation uh around uh, bidding and trading and and uh there's definitely the tax money as an aside the reason from a game design perspective the reason monopoly never ends the way a lot of people play it is because they introduce rules like free parking when you land on free parking you get all the money that the game system tried to extract from the game given back to you (laughs) so (laughs) the game is just adding money into the pool and it never removes any money because it all just goes onto this free parking and gets re-injected into the game and so no one goes bankrupt because there's just huge amounts of money going around um so yeah that's uh the the game i have played (laughs) like once or twice as an adult with the actual Uh rules and it was less bad for sure at at a previous job that i had we we i don't know why i'm being coy about it when i worked at netscape we had (laughs) we were how could you how could you not (laughs) start the sentence that way (laughs) Uh, does anyone remember the company netscape Netscape is like a web browser it was a web browser company once it it was once upon a time so at netscape there was a crew who were very very serious about monopoly and they had house rules but they were not house rules that would prevent the game from ever ending and they had like an early web service of like 
a web page that I was probably manually updated actually of like who had won and what the stats were and stuff. And I would stay sometimes and be the banker. But so that's like the last time I was really playing a bunch of Monopoly. But at any rate, the the game that we today know as Monopoly, when do you think it was created? Well, it has the art has a bit of a Great Depression y kind of feeling to it. So you're gonna suggest sometime in the thirties? Yeah, that would be my guess. It's not a bad guess because that's when the version you're playing was published. Okay. But the actual original version is from 1902. Oh, okay. But but like it was maybe slightly less capitalist capitalism wins. Well, the game. we're 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 gonna get into that. Yeah. So it, it was so Monopoly was invented by a woman named Elizabeth Maggie. Is how I'm pronouncing her last name. And it was originally called the Landlord's Game. Okay. And the game was intended to be, in her words, a practical demonstration of the present system of land grabbing with all of its usual outcomes and consequences. Yeah, and land grabbing in America in in the 1800s, and I guess, you know, to some degree, the early 1900s was a very common thing. Yeah. So she was a a follower of a system called Georgism which was proposed by Henry George. And the idea there was to show how rents really only enrich property owners and impoverished tenants. And they were like, it was all about this thing called the single tax. Yeah, yeah. I've heard a couple of times about this. Henry George, like, I guess he was an economic or economist or before there was the term economist. So I guess he was a philosopher, but had some still referenced today, interesting ideas that have never been implemented that could potentially make for better or maybe fairer economic systems. Like the single tax the idea that if you, if you, instead of taxing sales tax and all this stuff, if you just taxed land and not like the buildings are built on it, but just tax the land, then a lot of like economic social benefits might happen, which I think is one of his theories. Yeah. Basically all land becomes common property. It, it, it's quite complicated. At any rate, so she wanted to create a game that would, she felt like people had trouble understanding these ideas. So she wanted to create a game that would show you viscerally like what the difference was. You're like, man, once you get some land, you just win. And that really (laughs) sucks for everyone else. And it wasn't really anything that you did other than roll a die. So the original game had two different sets of rules. Oh, no. (laughs) One was monopolist and one Uh was anti-monopolist. Oh, okay, sure. And so the the monopolist rules are basically the same as modern monopoly. Everyone competes against each other. You try to force everyone else into bankruptcy. You try to monopolize everything. And whoever is last standing with the complete monopoly wins. But the anti-monopolist rules rewarded everyone for wealth creation. So that that version of the game, which was called Prosperity, and it was based on the single tax model. And the entire group won when the last player had doubled their original pot. So when everyone in the game had doubled their money, ah, mm-hmm. then everyone won and the game was over. When the rising tide lifts all boats. Right. So the idea here was that you would play the first version first, the the monopolist version, and then when you were done with the monopolist version, you would play the game with the prosperity rules. Right. Game being kind of relative because at that point it's a cooperative. No, you win. It's your your a game is still a game if you're cooperatively playing. Yeah, but it's fairly maybe hard to lose. I mean, everyone's trying to complete a puzzle or Yeah. It definitely has different it definitely has a different feel to it, I would imagine, when the thing is just like we're all just basically simulating eventual success as opposed to <laughs> competing with each other directly. Uh, so I sent you a link to one of the earliest rule sets from 1904, The Landlord's Game. Economic Game Co. of New York. 
Yeah, so yeah, so she actually created a company with some other folks to publish the game. Okay, okay. And like had patents on it and everything like that. Beggar's so, Court, Jesus, Railroad. I think you know the the most of the top part is the same as Modern Monopoly. The one one interesting thing is that a lot of the place names are actually pretty great because like there's a like there's a the the utility is called Sokum. Like S O A K U M, right? And it's a lot of like that kind of, that kind oh, of. Oh, and then there's like food, fuel, shelter, and clothing, which you have to get just to kind of like underscore the like struggle of the working class. Yeah, exactly. It makes it much, much, much more clear. I think the 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 best, the most interesting part to me though is at the bottom, where first of all you become monarch of the world. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> when you win, but then they say. You can see if you want to see how the single tax would benefit benefit everyone and raise everyone's wages and everything would be great. Then you can at any time during the game by a vote of at least two of the players, which there's four players in the game. So if two of the players are losing and just decide to vote to switch the rules to the single tax rules, then the game switches over to prosperity mode because it's a democracy. Right. Hint, hint, wink, wink. <laughs> but so I thought the rules for the, the there's there, this is a little bit earlier. There's like a later version with even more developed rules. But I thought that this version of just the rules for the single tax was super interesting. Like the first rule is pay no taxes on absolute necessities. Mm, mm-hmm. So but then all the land re- rent is paid into a public treasury to be used for public improvements all the f- railroad fares and franchise rates are paid to the owners as before until the public takes control of them when they become free. I don't know, Ark. This sounds a little <laughs> communistic to me. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I'm, I'm not commenting on any sort of... I'm not giving any sort of opinion about... <laughs> I like this section. Well, I'm from Canada, so it's the chill here. But the, yeah. from I like the section in the rules for advanced and scientific players. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a yeah. scientific Well, because, because it says, when players have become thoroughly familiar with the rules and principles of the game, they will readily perceive that if the game is continued long enough, the inevitable result will be that one player will own everything. Right. Yeah. And that's seen as a, as a negative. <laughs> well, yeah, I I can see if you are a activist for social change, then right. it would be obvious to you that once you show people that using the rules of capitalism in a game will result in one person owning all the stuff, that must be inherently bad, as opposed to, of course, no one will come to the conclusion, oh, I want to play that game, but then I want to win it. <laughs> right because that would be immoral because it would be at the right at the loss of the other people so no one would want that <laughs> well yeah and you're playing with your family and friends typically yeah yeah, yeah. Well, and you know you wouldn't want your little sister to go bankrupt and... i wouldn't want your little sister to go bankrupt no you might you might want your little <laughs> sister to go bankrupt so the 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 game was published like i said by this woman and then she she actually even submitted it to Parker Brothers to try to get it more widely distributed in 1910, and they decided not to do it. And then in 1935, a guy named Charles Darrow, who was taught the game by some friends and who did not have any interest in the prosperity rules, he only liked the the capital capitalistic monopolistic rules. He sold the rights to it to Parker Brothers. And what I find interesting about that is that they have since claimed, even though they bought, they had to buy out her patents and stuff. They have claimed since that he is the sole inventor of the game. 
Well, it's always a, an interesting, whenever you take a thing that isn't popular and then you change it even a tiny amount and it becomes popular, there's always a contentious discussion and debate to be had about how much value did you add? Yeah, yeah. Because some, you could take the argument in like the person who took this out of many games that weren't fun and tweaked it or didn't take off at least, it weren't popular and tweaked it and then it became popular that the thing before you could make the argument is like, well, all he did is tweak it. So he provided very little additional value. Or you could also make the argument that he effectively provided all the value because before the thing was semi-valueless, like no one was buying it, no one was paying for it, no one was playing it. And then suddenly he did this thing that made it valuable and a lot of people were playing it. And that was the thing that was necessary to make it, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm sure, sure there's like lots of, you could read books about this. And- right. But in this case, he, he, the, literally the game was already being purchased and played. He, that's how he came across it. Oh, I, 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 I interpreted that as like saying it was just kind of like a folk game. Like some no, like, oh, she, hey, she she started a company and made the game. Like it was being played. Hmm, interesting. It, and and like I said, she, she owned patents on it and renewed the patents on it. And and because it was doing like okay, but it wasn't as yeah. successful. No, because he became a millionaire, right, from the game. He was the first millionaire game designer in history. In fact, but <laughs> but but I just find it fascinating that Parker Brothers they just didn't like that story of how it how it came about. Yeah, I can see it wouldn't fit into their narrative. Somebody right. made this game that tried to show people why socialism is better, and then somebody else t- took that idea and then took out all the socialism and then sold it to this, us as if it was his idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Even though they knew because they'd already been propositioned to buy it before. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? So he basically what happened is he he well actually part of the funniness of the story is that so he he learned it from this guy named Charles Todd and then and and I think his wife and then he taught it to the wife of Charles Darrow and then it says after learning the game Darrow then began to distribute the game himself as Monopoly and never spoke to the Todds again. <laughs> Sounds like a which nice is, guy. Yeah, which is like, you know, I can't. And in fact, uh, Marvin Gardens in in the Monopoly that we still play today is a misspelling because Charles Todd had it misspelled on their copy. <laughs> so like it's it's spelled with an I instead of an E because the neighborhood in Atlantic City or whatever. I like, like how subtle I, the, <laughs> the political angle is in the, these rules from the 1906 era. Hmm. Under the single tax, like, so if you get to the mode where you enact this single, more socialist, equal tax, uh, the poor house rule is eliminated because all players have access to land, the natural opportunity to labor. Yep. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's just, everything is just better. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually kind of really want to play the, this, this version of it. I would be curious to play it. I feel like like even the the version of it that ended up being much more popular still is kind of infamous and by modern game design standards bad. Uh, mm. So I would I would definitely feel like the chances are that uh, that this would not be more fun than that. But it would be it would definitely be fun to try it just for the to be able to say you did and then you know joke about the rules and. Uh, did you see that like if you get to an unimproved lot, if if at any time a player has money to invest they can like build a house on any unimproved lot whether they're there or not hmm. as long as no one else bids against them for the privilege of building there there's a bunch of bidding even in the even like, in, in the, the current in the, game that people don't yeah. tend to actually do bidding like i find bidding bidding rules in games fun 
because it kind of auto balances. Like if a thing is good, or at least people think is good, then the players will bid it up. And then if something people don't understand why something might be useful, or maybe something just sucks, then it doesn't get bid up much. But then you can get it for I don't know. I, I think it's a fun mechanic, but not a lot of games have it. So I don't know. Yeah, I do think it would be nice if there was a, a way to show that you know. Maybe 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 if you play both rules back to back, you come out thinking that there's a middle ground. You know that, that it doesn't have to be purely monopolistic. <laughs> that this isn't all some sort of zero sum game where no only one person could ever win. Have you ever played the game Power Grid? I have it's not. Is it really about running the the Power Grid? Yeah, it's about running the Power Grid, and you and your your other players are each trying to build power stations and connect lines and serve different towns on a map um and one of the fun mechanics in that or at least that i find fun is that uh different as technology moves along you can bid on different resources um and then the value of various things and so like you know you eventually want to get off of fossil fuels and into solar or whatever but like is it worth the cost at this time or whatever it's kind of it's and it's german so you know it's good well sadly sad fact about me i do not like board games what i know it makes my wife so sad she loves them and and she just wishes i would love them okay well her and i will play board games you this will make her very happy yeah and then you karen can (laughs) (laughs) does karen also not like board games she'll play board games actually she and definitely initially i think both of us thought that she wasn't super into them but it was Mm. certain categories of games and now we have a lot better understanding of what sort of game mechanics she likes there probably are games that i would enjoy i don't think i should make a full stop like no games rule it's just that i so don't enjoy the ones i don't enjoy that like even just trying to wade through them like you know going over to people's houses and playing games is such a idea fraught with peril for me sure well i mean there's a lot of pitfalls like a lot of people don't enjoy games that are long right Uh, so if you know 30 minute game 20 to 30 minute game there's a lot of games that you can actually have fun and want to play it multiple times but a lot of board games especially that people who are into board games like they will get into these hour and a half games and two and a half hour games and three and a half hour games and if you are not into board games inherently you will almost certainly want to die by the end of that (laughs) what is interesting to me is that in college i was very into a game called diplomacy oh yeah okay (laughs) which is like a i think i've heard from people since then is like a pretty hardcore at least for that era a pretty hardcore game is super hardcore well i mean so diplomacy is a game where a lot of the gameplay is not about the board it's about Mm. negotiating and discussing off the board with other people about how you won't betray them and then betraying right. them. And then betraying them. <laughs> yeah. It's all about how do you betray people, which <laughs> I'm not sure this mm. says good things. By the, by the way, random fact that I encountered while doing this, uh, this research. So Parker Brothers bought the game. They started distributing the game. In the 1940s, they had started distributing it in the UK. And in 1941, the British Secret Intelligence Service had the company who made the game for the UK create a special edition for World War II POWs who were being held by the Nazis. And inside, I don't know how exactly, like through charities and stuff, they managed to get these games into the POW camps. But hidden inside the games were maps, compasses, real money, and other objects useful for escaping. (laughs) But it seemed like part, part of the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It like just seemed like, oh, this is the money for this game. But it was actual money. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I do enjoy those yeah. like work around like just clever espionage things that will probably only work once in history. But then once you hear it, you're like, oh, of course they didn't think of protecting against that or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, slightly 
weirder thing adjacent to that is that the 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 a Dutch version of the game was created at the same time where it was made by like the Vichy Dutch government, but because it had nothing bad in it, it's actually be- continued to be the Dutch version of it to this day. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Just like a, just a, a theming like with different street names or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like whatever the translation in a Dutch was, 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 I guess, fine. Is that what they called the Nazi Dutch government? Is Vichy Dutch? No, oh, okay. that, that was France. Yeah. I cannot, I, th- I cannot remember what the Dutch, you know, version of this was called. I don't feel like I have a segue for that <laughs> to my fact in any way. I feel like literally well, everything about my next fact and topic is, it, is unrelated is to that. There's just well, there's just no <laughs> connections. I can't. Think Wait, of. hold on. Are you telling me you don't have a board game history, secret socialist history fact for me? <laughs> you know, you know, if I scroll down the list far enough, I might find one. You might find one. You have a lot of facts. But for this fact. I have to ask you some context because how I approach it will will differ. Uh, are you familiar with the song Old Town Road? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. I'm so excited for whatever is about to happen right now. So fun fact, Old Town Road is the shortest Billboard number one single since 1965. Oh, yeah, it is a short song. It's only a minute and 53 seconds long. Yeah. It's not a long song. And that's with, that's the version. Is that the version with the, that's not the version that has Billy Ray Cyrus on it though. Cause that, version no, that's is, the original version. The Billy Ray Cyrus yeah. remix is slightly longer, but still very short. And this, that fact led me into okay. a kind of a bit of a, a rabbit hole of old town road facts the, the best facts do that it's a yeah. fascinating phenomenon so if anyone's not familiar well, obviously we will you know what i was i was called out on saying we will put that audio in the show notes uh in an audio podcast we will play a clip of this song i got the horses in the back horse stock is attached is mad at black, got the boosters black to match. Riding on a horse, ha, you can whip your Porsche. I've been in the valley, you ain't been up off that porch now. Can't nobody tell me nothing. I like that song, I'm a fan. Uh, I am also a fan, it's great. And I think that the, the fact that is so different from everything or so many other popular songs right now and in recent history and also that it has a very unusual origin story is super cool Mm -hmm. so yeah the the story behind the song is this guy lil nas x i'm pretty sure it's pronounced lil nas 10 yeah yeah exactly as (laughs) from a long line of lil nas's uh the his backstory was that he was basically just out of school. Or I believe he, he didn't go to university. He was 19 or 20, living with his sister, you know, not known on the internet, had no albums released or whatever. And he spent a lot of time on Twitter and on social media trying to get attention for his creative stuff that he was working on, but was basically completely unknown and was working on some music and got this sample um, from a Dutch teenager, this trap beat, which he bought for thirty dollars. Very, very well spent. Very money. thirty dollars, really well spent. Wait, did you say a Dutch teenager? Yes, a Dutch teenager. You know, there was your connection. Oh, 
there was a connection to the Dutch monopoly. Uh, I can't believe I missed that. Uh, we, I don't know if we can cut it so that it seems like. So we from a Dutch teenager, um, and combined that with a sample from a, a Nine Inch Nails song, and put together this song among some others and started promoting it on social media and put this song onto tiktok which is this social network that we were talking about recently oh we've discussed tiktok on this show we discussed you TikTok. are the reason i know about TikTok, right and so tiktok is their format is that you have songs that play you know a few seconds in a loop and you people do varying memes match to a particular song and as you could probably guess with this song old town road which is like a country themed uh trap song <laughs> uh, that the song in the meme starts and it's someone who's just sort of being normal and then when the beat drops they are suddenly a cowboy is the you know this is the format that you would expect from a tiktok meme that with a country song that sounds great of course, it's you know it's what you would expect from TikTok, which we can link some uh, examples of that meme in the show notes. But what ended up happening is it went viral, was incredibly popular on TikTok to the point that it actually started to break out into the mainstream and started to chart. Originally on the country charts, which yes. the song is not a stereotypical country song, and Lil Nas X is not a stereotypical country artist. Uh, and Billboard decided to ban Old Town Road from the country charts. Very foolishly. Very foolishly. Well, I mean, to the benefit of Lil Nas X, because that ended up actually getting more attention from the song. He got like some, some attention from Billy Ray Cyrus uh, based on this. And they ended up doing a remix together, which is the version that a lot of people have heard, which has now been the Billboard number one song for 18 weeks Longer than any song ever. You know that he bought he bought Billy Ray Cyrus a a, a Maserati, a Maserati, from this. which makes no sense to me because Billy Ray Cyrus does not he need does his not money. need a Maserati. But you you might like I was kind of surprised, although this maybe makes sense. But I was sort of quite amused to learn that fun fact sub sub fun fact um, that this song was the first ever number one hit, of course, for Lil Nas X, but also for Billy Ray Cyrus and Nine Inch Nails. Wait, hold on. Achy Breaky Heart was a number one single. It was a number four. Really? According to the internet. Uh, (laughs) uh, Oh, peaking at number four on the Billboard Hot 100. And yeah, Nine Inch Nails also never had a number one. That's a little less surprising, don't you think? Well, I mean, they're well known. and They're very well known and very successful, but... What Nine Inch Nails song would have been number one overall? Perfect you know what I, mean? I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, mm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. just kind of interesting that those artists who everyone has heard of end up getting a, you know, their chart topping credit out of this kid in a basement. Oh, so they, they, Nine Inch Nails get credit for this? Yeah, they're credited as because of the sample. Because the sample is very direct. Like if you listen to the oh. song that it's based on, which is on one of their concept albums, um, it is kind of straight up. And then there's this, the, also this Dutch, uh, this Dutch teenager who made this trap beat also is credited on the song. Uh, so everybody wins. Everybody wins. It's it's great. It's just it's just a fun, great story, and it's so different. The story, the song is way shorter than a normal pop song and way shorter than a normal hit it is way slower than a normal hit it's like 60 something bpm whereas normally like a pop hit would be like a dancey like 
90 would be really slow and like 120 140 bpm and this is like half that um there's just so many things about it that just make me like happy and it's just interesting cool story to me so yeah you know that he's the first artist with a number one song to come out of uh, as gay yes yes which is super cool like i think i mean obviously there i assume there have been people who are while, known to while be getting, having while the, the it number was one number one record. yes to be like hey i have yeah. this number one song by the way i have this thing to announce um yeah and then i think i think he did it. he's very good at social media like very much of this generation like even yeah. more the generation younger than us that didn't just like come up with social media but like were born in it and uh so yeah he was he he is social media as a person yeah and so he had like you know dropped hints like rainbow things on the on the cover of the album and and stuff like that so it was i don't know he seems to have very much mastered the uh the art of it before any of this come along yeah what, what i find amazing about him is that he it is very unlikely just statistically or just in general it is very unlikely that he will ever have anything bigger than this oh extremely it, it, no unlikely. one's had anything bigger than this i mean yeah yeah, yeah it's the most longest number one hit of all time yeah like it would be it, it's not even like oh he's a one-hit wonder like that might also be true but it's like literally it would be ridiculous to even suggest that he will have a bigger moment than this because it's it's the biggest song of all time so you know he's not going to have that but even if he never has anything you know he has so dramatically stamped himself in this in in history in this moment and i mean this is a song that will be played for 50 years you know and it's 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 just crazy it's amazing i think it's so great and so completely out of nowhere in some sense you know what i mean i really enjoy his um because like, like you say he's he's never gonna have it's very unlikely for anyone to ever have bigger than this amount of success, but he's doing a really good job kind of channeling it and playing with it on Twitter and stuff like that. Yeah. And he yeah. has all these various like, you know, tweets and, and things like that, that people he's done 20 remixes. Yeah. Yeah. And like joking about like, Oh yeah. You know, my, cause he's done all these remixes. And so people keep asking like, Oh yeah, we're going to remix now. And he's always tweeting about how, Oh, here are the next 10 remixes. And it's like, you know, <laughs> bass boosted young thug remix interlude, 10 hour loop, acapella version. Right. And all these sort of things like making, you know, making fun of himself. And like people yeah. were tweeting like, you know, at Lil Nas X, like how long are you going to keep milking this, the old town road thing? And his response is till I can't no more. Just, like, you know, just, just playing with it and you know, it's, it's, it's fun that's i also wonderful. enjoy that his twitter name like you get to you have your username but then for his like name he it just says nope that's, that's what he chose <laughs> his name to be and he's verified yeah, at some point nope. then yeah. <laughs> he has 2.6 million followers yeah which almost seems low to me i know that seems like he should be i mean he's been nope. famous for months now <laughs> He's ah oh god he's he's incredible. He he's definitely like enjoying it in a really fun way. Yeah, it may, yeah, it makes you like when you see people who are famous and they have success, they they want to portray themselves as above it all and super like yeah, I don't even yeah, care. Where, I, don't, I don't even this doesn't exactly, even matter. Exactly. Like oh. I don't care like whatever. I guess I'm number 1 in like 18 weeks whatever. Like I'm going to be even, yeah, I mean, yeah no big whatever deal. I'm going to go party with my <laughs> you know. Uh but he's much <laughs> yeah. more like I feel like he was reacting closer to the way that I wish I would react, which is I'm like I can't believe this. Look at this. Are you kidding? Ah! Yeah, he's got he's like the human personification of like wow, yeah, which is great, you know. Yeah. Also, did you see the pensive cowboy emoji? No. It's very here. Let me see if I can send it to you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, the remix bot. Yeah. So there's this uh, at emoji mashup bot on 
on Twitter will combine different emoji for great success like it's uh, it's avatar is the crying partying <laughs> emoji which i also find very funny uh but yeah the pensive pensive cowboy you have oh that's amazing yeah the crying partying one uh, i don't know so i great. wish crying partying was a real thing yeah <laughs> i feel like crying partying is very useful yeah i, could, I would use that occasionally yeah no i needed it a, like a week and a half ago so <laughs> <laughs> I went. I went on a like a a trip with with some friends of mine pre baby, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're definitely you know it's definitely a a friendship group that tends to to drink more adult beverages than well I drink basically none sure so any is more than that but it's just like I definitely could have you at some point I was definitely crying while partying <laughs> <laughs> I was like I'm too old I don't do this anymore why yeah let me ask you a question. My friend, my friend Alan, my yes. friend Alan Pike. Is it, <laughs> I'm worried. Is it, is it follow up time? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels we're, like we're follow up time. We have on the list no more fun misheard lyric videos for Presencol and Cusicol. Yeah, so this is something that I said last time, where I think I said, "Oh my God, there's so many fun YouTube videos with misheard lyrics," where they would like. You got to check them out. We're going to totally, they're in the show notes. Everyone click on it. They're already in the show. Well, they weren't already in the show notes because they don't exist. So (laughs) they don't. So I think at some point YouTube changed their caption system. They had an annotation system. Yeah. And it just a bunch of videos like lost all their captions at that point. And so I, I found videos that claim to be these videos, but then don't have the text. So it was great. And I, now it exists only in my memory and I'm sad. Womp womp. But trust us, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was incredible, and you are missing out. But also, uh, I'm sorry, I can't share it with you. Uh, another follow-up item, and we've been getting uh, people's ampersands and Limmy on Twitter, uh, who has sent in some facts and other follow-up in the past, uh, has been soliciting ampersands from people. So we link that up in the show notes. Yeah, it's been great. Excellent ampersands being shared. And it put me onto the uh, existence of italic ampersands, which some people have been sharing, which... I didn't know existed, and they're actually great. So. I really like that one from Koshin. Yeah, that's in the that that was tweeted by Sage at Sage Olson. That's a that's a great italic ampersand. Yeah. Uh, similarly, from from the the twitters, we have follow up from a few episodes ago that apparently nobody calls it Ronald Reagan Airport. Well. <laughs> So I, I've been kind of ignor- <laughs> not ignoring these. We appreciate all follow-up. I have gotten a number of disputes about our discussion from a long time ago about Reagan Airport. Yeah, we Ronald tripped Reagan, into something. Washington National Airport. And it seems like people in the Washington area have a lot of opinions about what to call this <laughs> and who calls it what depends on who people are and their context for the history of it. And Democrats and Republicans <laughs> call it different things. And uh, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't dug into it too much because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of data on this. And uh, no. but, uh, but fun thank fact, you. there is much disagreement among people in the D.C. area about what exactly you call that yeah. airport that shall not be named. Lauren Florco sent in another great example of an in, sort of an intentional Mondegreen. Uh, and I really want to mention this because it's a song I absolutely love. And I can't believe I didn't. I'm like really annoyed that I didn't think of it at the time. But there is a Sly and the Family Stone song called Thank You for letting me be mice elf again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is uh which is you know 
an intentional Mondegreen for Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself Again and is a phenomenal song. So I definitely recommend that. And thank you, Lauren. If you're interested in other fun factors, misheard lyrics, then we can link some of those up also. Yeah, there were some great ones also on the Twitter account. And if you have things to say about this, uh, you know, as always, at FunFactFM on Twitter is a great place to uh, to send us those. The phones are open. <laughs> the phones are literally being staffed by Alan 24 hours a day. So if you just want to... It's my job now. Talk to Alan. That's a good way to yeah, get a just, hold of him. Just give, just uh, send us a tweet and then yeah. uh, it gets transcoded <laughs> into text-to-speech. And, and then, finally, this would not be fun fact if I didn't have a brief moment in pedantic corner the best corner everybody's favorite everybody's favorite corner corner, where i point out that i was listening to our last episode and i heard us say that there were 10 inch floppy disks which Mm. they were not they were eight inch they were uh uh, i bet we lost a lot of subscribers over that (laughs) i think like uh man they were that's why we didn't get any follow photo because they were so angry that they just deleted the show immediately and they well they're still using computers that use eight inch floppy disks so they can't actually listen to the show are we thinking (laughs) but man eight inch floppy disks were huge they were big and they actually flopped yeah they look very floppy yeah satisfying though when you put them in the thing and this little clunk you know well what that yeah 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 well it, it had like the the dual closing things almost like i feel like, like, was like i wasn't lock. i was i imagined the dual closing things i'm like that's ridiculous i must be misremembering the fact that it would have mm. two closers is that i yeah. guess that's true though i think i don't know we might both we're be both imagining we're both hallucinating dual yeah. closing floppy disks that's how exciting we this are this is a berenstain bear situation all over again <laughs> dual closing floppies <laughs> dual closing if anyone has a, a link to a dual closing we're not gonna track. we're not gonna search it we don't have we're, we could look it up and no, we don't, i don't have know. that kind of time we i'm can. helping alan staff the phones we're doing we're very busy with all these tweet <laughs> phone messages it's uh we, we can't look this stuff up we, we <laughs> 